Welcome to Monstrology, episode 34. Imagine, I feel like I need like a big symphonic, uh, like colorful opening sequence. <laughs> yeah, that'll okay. do. Uh, yeah. Um, today, we are going to be doing a creature feature. Um, now, this uh, franchise is massive. Uh, it wasn't the biggest franchise in the world as we discovered, I think, at one point. <laughs> no. I think it's Pokemon, <laughs> um, but it is obviously... No, I thought it was Godzilla. I thought when we were doing our creature feature on Godzilla, we realized that that was the oh, biggest maybe, franchise. Oh, maybe, maybe film franchise. But if, you, oh, if you're okay. looking at okay. total revenue, uh, it's Right, Pokemon. right, right. I think you're right. Yes, it I remember that we were quite surprised. Basis. <laughs> yes, and I think I remember us when we looked it up, we were quite surprised that there were actually a couple that were in like the top five that we hadn't even heard of before yes for the top um but anyway this this um is going to be our our deep dive into uh comic books but specifically we're going to be looking at uh creatures and monsters within this franchise um and i feel like the usual format where i announce it isn't quite relevant because it's a creature feature so we're doing the mcu uh ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, boo uh, that was so anticlimactic boo well it's fine um but uh i have a important <clears throat> question for you madrin which, as you often do yes as i often do which is also a little bit of trivia which i think will set us up well for today right so the avengers in the mcu is not the same as the team in the mainstream Marvel comics. Do Correct. you know who the Avengers were <sighs> in the original Marvel comics versus the Avengers that exist in the MCU? Which, uh, there have been so many different Avengers I'm talking. I'm talking the original Avengers. Like OG. OG original Avengers. <sighs> I will tell you, there are five of them. <laughs> okay that was very helpful thank you well i mean um, you know, it narrows it down a little bit yes you're right um i'm trying to i'm trying to think of definitely the hulk was not the hulk is an original was he really oh yeah. man oh i have not gotten us off to a good start no it's okay um, it's it's Oh wait, Ant Man wasn't Ant Man in it? Ant Man is one of yes. the original Avengers, but the but the Hank Pym Ant Man, right? Uh, not I'm Scott not... Lang. I'm not sure which one, but I think you are correct. I think Scott okay. Lang is the different style. Um, probably Iron Man. Iron Man is correct. Okay. You okay. got three, three for five. We got. Well, no, I said no to Hulk, and you were like, actually. Well, we discussed it. <laughs> there will be no no letter grade given at the end. I simply <laughs> want to see if you know and can guess what they are. Uh, um, I I don't I don't think Thor was right. Thor is one it of is. the original oh, Avengers. Crying out loud. So now you're then I'll just say Black Widow now. Uh no. Oh, damn it. But uh is a female superhero and is related to one of the ones that you have mentioned. Is it the Wasp? It is. Yeah. Would be the Wasp. So okay. the original Oh, but the, but Janet Van Dyne. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. the original Avengers was Iron Man, Thor, Hulk, Ant-Man, and the Wasp. And Captain America is discovered in issue four and joins the group uh, after they like revive him. So basically he becomes one of those six. Um, the MCU was more based on the Ultimates versus the Avengers. And they use... 
<laughs> if the listeners could only see Imagine's face, she feels, I think, some sort of no. It's nerd, just like no. It's more shame. than anything. It's like this is like oh, this is stuff I knew. Yeah, I'm sure. Ah, uh, but I, okay. In I my do, defense, I, I it's do been believe like, you. It's been like 15 <laughs> it's, years. It's weird trivia, and there's so many different versions, right? But basically, the MCU took more from the Ultimates, which include uh black widow and hawkeye, hawkeye so they use yeah. different um properties i think in building the mcu and one of these things that we'll get into is essentially um that there will be many different things taken from many different comics they pick and choose what works best for the way that uh they're putting it all together um but that is uh basically the way that it goes in today's creature feature which is a focus on the marvel cinematic Basically, to dig into the MCU, we have to dig into who created the MCU, and that person is Kevin Feige. And for us to know, um, basically, I think what he's doing and um, how he created this, I think it's useful just to know a little bit about him. Um, so Kevin Feige is from uh, New Jersey. Um, he went to the University of Southern California School of the Cinematic Arts. My God, that is so long. Um, <laughs> it's uh, the alma mater of some of his favorite directors, George Lucas, Ron Howard, uh, Robert Zemeckis, Zemeckis. I can't remember how to pronounce that. Um, his apparently, I just appreciated this tidbit uh, as a kind of mark of perseverance, but his first five applications to film school were rejected and he was accepted on the sixth and then he graduated in 1995 with a degree in film. Uh, it's just to say, don't quit on your dreams, guys, because you could be Kevin Feige. You, <laughs> you know, could it's... be Kevin Feige. So wait, if he graduated in 95, that means that he was starting up the MCU, like, oh, yes, just 10 years later. Yes. So in 2000, he was hired by uh, Marvel as a producer on the first X-Men film. Um, and he was basically selected as an associate producer because of his knowledge of the Marvel Universe, because at the time they had different properties and they weren't doing that much um, cinema, really. But they he knew so much about it that he was useful to have around. Um, he was so impressive that he was basically hired to work as second command in command at Marvel Studios that same year. So he was so useful on X-Men. They went, hey, we should use you for all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Oh, we um, have this built-in subject matter expert. Oh, great. And in, in the mid-2000s, uh, uh, Feige realized that although Spider-Man and X-Men were licensed to Sony in 20th Century Fox, Marvel still owned the rights to all the core members of the Avengers, which, um, uh, we've, as we've talked about, would be uh, Iron Man, Thor, Hulk, Ant-Man, the Wasp. And then in that case, they also used Black Widow and Hawkeye um, to kind of kickstart it rather than Ant-Man and the Wasp but he had all of those still available at his disposal. 
and he basically just theorized that it, it would be cool to see if you could put all the core members together um, in the same way that Stan Lee and Jack Kirby had done with the comic books in the early 1960s. And so basically his nerddom on set earned him a, a spot as a second, I guess, first in command now of um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we know it to be, um, basically off the success of how good Iron Man 1 was. Like they mm -hmm. had a lot of kind of properties and it could have just been an idea but I think well because I... there were there were several comic book movies that had come in the years leading up to it. I mean, like they were making those like the the Christopher Reeves Superman movies like yeah. in the seventies, right? Like yeah. so, and like and how many Batman versions had there been beforehand? Mm -hmm. And then even like much smaller franchises like the Phantom and things like that that mm -hmm. had come out. But like the the fact that they took such a huge risk on knowing that they wanted to build this incredible decade like so over well, a decade of of material but but like it was such a, a huge I, I guess risk like like yeah. it was, there was really so much promise in iron man but it was really because iron man was so good yeah that we everybody was like oh i guess we can do this i think also marvel had been struggling for a long time and yeah the, yeah. the movies were an investment to build back the brand um because sony had basically been doing the best job with the movies with the exception i think blade which shout out to blade which i think basically single-handedly oh, saved do not marvel. knock blade yeah saved marvel blade from going is an under. awesome movie I don't know I that, that they movie. got much money from Blade, though. I think it was just no. the character basically helped kind of revive a lot of um, the brand of Marvel. But it's it's hard to imagine now because we see Marvel as such an enormously successful property that pre-2000s Marvel was really kind of on its last legs in terms of being able to continue even their, their comics and, and what they were doing. Well, and that was part of the reason why it had been all these different characters and different aspects of the Marvel Universe had been auctioned off to however many different mm -hmm. production companies because they were really just trying to keep the lights on. Mm -hmm. And so they were just like, oh, anybody want Spider-Man? Oh, Sony, you'll take it? Okay, great. Oh, now we can pay our bills for another few months. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was that kind of uh, thing. Well, I'm glad they did. Um, yeah. And kind of similarly to um, when we were uh, doing Star Wars and looking at uh, some of the influences of George Lucas, because this is specifically uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I kind of picked out some films um, that had a direct influence on Kevin Feige and by extension, a couple of films uh, that have influenced uh, the filmmakers that have gone on to work in the MCU. So the first- I was going to say, like, certainly, certainly all, all credit to- Kevin Feige and his long-term vision and his investment in this, but we can't knock those really early people that he worked with who are still such huge influencers in the MCU too. People like John Favreau. Mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah, right? yeah. So it wasn't, he, he tried so desperately with that first daredevil movie, mm -hmm. right. With Ben Affleck. Mm -hmm. um, as oh. we all know was not yeah. great. Great sequence <laughs> in the rain though. Good, good rain. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, but even kinda. just, but again, too, I think like John Favreau, he he shares a very clearly he shares a very similar vision to to Kevin Feige in mm -hmm. his directing and his. Of course, he plays Happy Hogan, 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, so we can continually see he him coming in and that sort of thing too. So mm-hmm. um, definitely it takes like a very like-minded group of people to make something so extraordinary mm-hmm. come to life. 100%. Um, I find it interesting that in the early days, especially, apparently Kevin would make everyone who worked on the movies in the MCU watch the first Superman movie. Um, oh, really? They would watch Superman the movie as a benchmark. And I was just kind of like going through clips of that when I realized it. And you can kind of see it. Like even the style of like, oh, he goes into the phone booth and changes and comes back out. The way that the music is scored, the fact that there's this kind of commercial um, optimism in the movie, like the heroes mm-hmm. win, like it, there's something kind of safer about the MCU ultimately in terms of the way that yeah, it portrays and, uh, violence what than I'm... some other film franchises. Yeah, that, and that was actually when the, the when, like when you were talking about like the similarities in in the tone and the visuals of those uh, Christopher Reeve Superman movies. Mm-hmm. It, the same thing in like the way that they're lit and the mm-hmm. color saturation when mm-hmm. it comes to it versus like if you compare it to, of course, everyone likes to compare it to the counterpart of the DC franchise, which is just so dark like uh-huh. dark darkly lit like i watched some of those movies and, like i can't actually see anything that's happening in yeah these. i think <laughs> Versus, it's like also... the, the marvel cinematic universe is quite bright and i think and like you said too i think it comes from a far more optimistic approach um mm-hmm. than some of the other superhero stuff that we see or you know a lot of the other hero stuff that we well, see and and as we know like these films were created to be commercially successful now Mm -hmm. that the mcu is so commercially successful they have the freedom i think to make more choices um with the content that they create and it's not going to you know tarnish their brand like you know soon we'll have r-rated deadpool and we'll see how that lands or whatever in in the mcu or um you know we we have more kind of adventurous takes on we'll kind of get into specific films but like yeah like adventurous takes on um characters or or kind of even just like kills that i think would be present in in the first ones Um, yeah like certainly like um captain america and the winter soldier is totally so different from say ant-man yeah or even really um different than the first avenger like i yes um in in watching captain america the first avenger um which I think maybe I did when we did Skeletons because I had skipped it because I thought it was super American. But anyway, there's all these references to Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's super mm-hmm. Spielberg-y in terms of uh, the way that it's shot. And there's yeah. even a reference, I think, at one point um, to Red Skull talking about the Fuhrer looking for trinkets in the desert. And um, there's like a side-by-side kind of comparison that you can see between... Um, uh, like the red skull uh, is kind of face melting from the tesseract versus like the nazi's face melting from yeah. the, the um yeah. um the from looking arc. into the, yeah. the arc yeah. yeah or like when i saw um doctor strange in the multiverse of madness my mm-hmm. review was that is the sam raimiest movie i've ever seen oh yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> because and because he has such a distinctive style and it's of just course. like it but it and but I think you're right that like were Sam Raimi to direct an MCU m- movie early on, like in phase one or two, mm-hmm. 
people would have been like, what is this? It's totally out of whack with this. It doesn't, now, you know, this isn't part of the world, but now it's, it's like, awesome. we've got the quantum realm. We've got all these different multi-universes. We've gone to outer space, however many times. So mm -hmm. of course you can expand to that scope and that, that vision of it. And it does certainly, again, like if you, if you were to compare Iron Man to Multiverse of Madness, they are vastly different movies mm -hmm. but they all still kind of work together now because mm -hmm. of that lovely thread um just a couple more kind of movie references that i think is nice um there is a comparison to be made between the version of spider-man they chose for the mcu and the karate kid because a lot of people say that um uh, daniel larusso and his mom's relationship is very similar to peter parker and aunt may this kind of like working class and you can kind of see it if you yeah if, if, yeah I think you the way that they play it, yeah and that's not always that isn't traditionally like if you look at the sam raimi spider-man <laughs> that is not the relationship with aunt may right <laughs> no. like it's very no. different and i think he knows that that's kind of a fun relationship to play with because i remember seeing it and being like what is this like it isn't how i imagine spider-man that relationship i think is pulled more from film than it is from the comics um in terms of the way that they rebooted spider-man in that way um, but I like the way that they did that because like totally, Aunt yeah. May is always is always portrayed as being like this 85 year old gray haired really frail person but you're like well if she's his aunt shouldn't she only be like maybe 30 years older than him like shouldn't uh -huh. Aunt May be like 45 <laughs> well and then the hard thing with with Mr. Tomei is like you don't even seem that old you know like that, yeah, that well, was really yeah, the dynamic too right um uh there's also a cool reference in Guardians of the Galaxy, and you can even see this in the posters, um, that the the lineup of the Guardians together is basically just the lineup from The Usual Suspects. And that yeah. was kind of the way that they branded it, and even just the style of fun um, that you can, you can have that reference. So shout out to James Gunn for that. Um, and uh, apparently they also referenced constantly um, Star Wars, but specifically Empire Strikes Back. And you can absolutely draw a line between the ending of Infinity War and Empire Strikes Back in terms of oh, yeah. you're, you're taking a big dark swing right at the end of the movie with the hope that you'll come back and resolve it. And I think um, the audience clamoring for Endgame is very similar to people um, looking for like Return of the Jedi. Uh, that that it's just such a fierce demand because you left, leave them in such a um, terrible place really at the end of a second part in a trilogy um, which totally worked I, I think it was great <laughs> um, oh yeah absolutely like to see all of our different and especially too because at that point the MCU had been around for like 10 years mm -hmm. there were all these different heroes that we had seen in various forms and we loved and were familiar with all of them and then to watch them all get dusted like that and there and there's that there's that feeling of like you know we watch these epics but there's always that part of us that's like of course our heroes are going to win they're the mm -hmm. heroes and so to watch the bad guy actually fulfill his plan and win is so you're like no that can't be the end of it i'm so uncomfortable mm -hmm. with the idea of the bad guy winning yeah i even i think there's some i on a story structure it's it's neat to see that Basically, in uh, Infinity War especially, 
Thanos is the protagonist of the movie. Like he's the one actually driving all the action. All the heroes are the obstacle for him. If you look at it on a structure level, which is completely the opposite of what we might imagine too. Right. Um, yeah. Which is kind of neat. Yeah. Um, I mean, definitely Thanos is the hero of his story. Exactly. Yeah. But it's just, uh, I can't think of a superhero movie really where I could anchor the whole thing in a character that is not your hero. Even I, I'm not talking about like anti-hero or whatever or, or who it is, but just that a character would be so singularly the bad guy driving all the action. bad guys, the driving force yeah. behind all of it. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah. And I think they earned it by building up to it. But um, it's uh, I, I think that movie is really great. Um, the last I don't know if I said it was the last. This was my real last movie reference um, is uh, I remember even just from the trailer of this coming out. I was like, oh, this is the movie they're referencing which is uh, in Doctor Strange, the mirror dimension world bending is basically Inception. And they can say <laughs> yeah. that it's not, they can tell me whatever, but there's no way that the people who were creating that had never seen the movie Inception because oh, this like, city holding um, I was going to say, there's that whole fight sequence of them like walking up the sides of building and the yeah. buildings folding in on themselves. Yeah. And, yeah. Really and I loved did. it. I mean, I, I have no, uh, you know, claims of uh, complaints here, but uh, I think it, it's definitely from uh, kind of the visual style of Inception that they pulled that from. Um, whereas the, the follow-up Doctor Strange is basically just Sam Raimi style. It's the same, uh, I'm it is the Sam Raimiest movie that has ever been created. Yeah. My favorite part of that was, or, yeah, when I was really like, okay, this has re reached peak Raimi was when Doctor Strange was fighting his alternate universe self with music notes. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is peak Sam Raimi. There's a lot. I and mean... that right there, but you can see, but again, and that, that now that is throwing back to his own movie, but there's a sequence in Darkman that's mm -hmm. basically the same thing where like mathematical symbols are floating mm -hmm. around through the air while uh, Liam Neeson is like trying to do the math, you know? Well, I think... <laughs> I think in the same way that Superman set, like, you know, the blueprint of the way that they wanted to do the, maybe the style of the MCU, the success of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies were so massive. Um, and I think that um, Kevin Feige talks with such respect about um, those movies. I think he was a, a, a PA or something on one of the Spider-Man movies. Because I remember when, um, you know, when No Way Home came out, um, and he was talking about bringing back those characters that like he had such a reverence on like that kind of weird cycle of his life that he was kind of witnessing someone work and now like he's using those characters and bringing him back for Doctor Strange like it's it's kind of wild to see that um, change over time um, but it's just that kind of playful I think place that we've hit the MCU that's th that's the positive side of it is we have these playful new very distinct properties and then unfortunately, on the other side, we have Marvel fatigue, where we have seen too much of the yeah. same style. We go, I can't handle this color saturation anymore. Please give me something different. So you get these kind of wild. Or, or even like, it's it's very difficult for people who are not hardcore fans to, to jump in and enjoy. Like there aren't, at this point, there aren't that many that you can just jump into and enjoy without mm -hmm. knowing any of the backstory that comes before it. Like even... Mm -hmm. um, Last weekend, I was visiting my family and my nephew, who is 14, was like, let's go see Quantumania. Let's go see Quantumania. Yeah. So we went. But as we were going, I said to him, okay, like, 
clearly I know that all of these movies are connected to each other. I said, but I haven't seen Wakanda forever yet. Do you think that's going to be a problem? Be- uh-huh. Basically, I was asking him, did they make any lead up reference in Wakanda forever to set up quantum mania. And I was like, but cause of course I've seen all of the other ones and I, you know, I've seen all the other Ant-Mans and even I already knew who the villain was going to be mm-hmm. in quantum mania. So I'm like, I've seen the Loki TV series. So I know all about that villain. Do you think I'm good? And he was like, yeah, I don't think, I don't think you need to know Wakanda forever because like even I who have seen literally every movie in the MCU I just at this point have yet to see Wakanda forever right even I was like oh man am I gonna be lost and then of course there's my mom who has seen maybe like a half a dozen of them total Mm -hmm. (laughs) we were like okay well good luck ma'am I think one of um again I I guess this was a sign of the times but Kevin Feige was saying that he was also uh very much influenced by the harry potter films which he used to go see with his kids and he hadn't read any of the books or followed any of the content he would just go see the movies and he would see them on release weekend and he would never think about them until he went to go see another one (laughs) and he was always impressed that occasionally yeah he would have to ask who is who is that person or whatever but he could basically follow the whole thing without having seen or having read any of the books and could enjoy it and just appreciate it for what it is. And I think that's the goal with the MCU movies, which now maybe is getting a little bit convoluted, but originally they were more self-contained and you could just take them on their own. Um, Whereas I guess the team-ups have been, I mean, brought down to a formula. Like, you know that the two post-credit scenes at the end of the movie are going to set you up for something down the line Whatever um, the next the, thing is. Yeah, yeah, to the point that the directors like don't even have too much say in that story that happens in these kind of cutscene trailers at the end. Oh, I know. Like even I was reading um when Eternals came out, mm-hmm. what the director really wanted to have happen is that she wanted to destroy Earth mm. at the end of the movie and like have that just be its own self-contained story. And of course, Kevin Feige was like, no, we're no like we're setting up for this is part of the extended marvel universe we're setting up for many many more movies uh-huh. to come you cannot blow up the earth at the end and like apparently it was actually an issue <laughs> where she yeah. was like well now i'm not telling a story that i want to tell and he was like did you not read your contract before you started <laughs> yeah but that's that's chloe Zhao, and i think they they yeah i mean she had just literally won i think best director best picture that year Uh, i think best director and like she is an incredible uh filmmaker but it makes sense that you're if you're asking these like highly skilled people to come on for a one-off they're gonna have you know a slightly different way of working right yeah um but they have to deal with this kind of continuity which is like probably kevin's uh uh blessing and a curse you know to try to like yeah like in line um uh the director of the black panther movies ryan Coogler? Is that Coogler? Coogler. Coogler. He, like, clearly that is... <laughs> Not Jennifer Coogler. <laughs> no, sorry. That's what I was... Yes, yeah, so I was mixing up with my head. Such, you know, they're, they're so much alike. Um, <laughs> but, like, so clearly he has a very distinct style and a very distinct vision. But, and so, like, I don't see him directing, say, like, you know, the next Winter Soldier or, no. or you know, whatever, right? But it at least still ties in and kind of still works within the the yeah. greater universe. Yeah. You can totally see like the individual brand. Like Taika Waititi has a very specific style. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. it, 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 uh, Kenneth Branagh's style was strong. It wasn't for me, but it was for some people. Like, um, everyone has their own kind of brand that I think imprint on the MCU. And uh, I think they do move from person to person, which is nice. Like they haven't stayed with the same director the whole time. They've allowed it to kind of morph. And I think that helps um, it feel fresh and new as well. Um, well, some of you uh, who are listening to this podcast are probably thinking, hey, isn't this called Monstrology? Shouldn't we talk about monsters? <laughs> Shouldn't we talk about monsters? And uh, yes, we shall. Um, it, clearly, uh all of these comics have had an influence all of these characters are quite iconic but hopefully that has given you some perspective on how the franchise has come together and just a little bit of the um influence of film that kind of led to it um there's so many good monsters in the mcu at the end of this episode yes. you're probably gonna think hey why didn't you talk about this? You Will? didn't talk about my favorite what the hell, one, Madrin. And you know, don't <laughs> don't don't come at me, okay? Because there is uh, a seemingly infinite uh, amount of them. Um, I'm gonna try to... <laughs> this is like <laughs> our um, our episode on dragons. So yes. Of course, dragons are huge, and every culture has a ton of stuff on dragons. And we went very very long in that episode. And so ever since then, Will and I have been like, oh no, this is gonna be a dragon length episode. Uh, like. Yes. When we when we get into a more specific monster, we're like, okay, but this isn't going to be like dragon territory. <laughs> but <laughs> I think for a creature, anyway. <laughs> feature, the MCU, we yeah, we're going to dip into dragon territory a bit. Mm -hmm. I think um, <laughs> there's a ton of different monsters and creatures. Now, the one thing that we're kind of caught in, I think, Madge and I might have different um, thresholds for this is what qualifies as a monster or a creature in the MCU. Mm -hmm. I think I got very, I think I got far more specific than you did. Like yeah. we were talking in our pre-recorded well, chat. I do not cool. include cool. yeah. humans. And for the most part, I don't include superheroes, but I will say that sometimes there is overlap between superheroes and some of the things that I'm going to get into. Um, for example, uh, the Asgardians, I think, could be defined as creatures or monsters because so much of what they do comes from like Norse mythology. And so we are looking at them as basically these godly entities. Um, but even down to like so many of the Thor movies have like uh, Asgardian birds and Asgardian wolves right. and Asgardian, like there's all these versions of um animals that you see that are slightly different um but they're ultimately just animals so i'm not super interested in that hopefully we'll kind of anchor things in things that are a little bit um creepy crawlier um there is i think a few different categories so maybe we can start with that and then get into the ones that are a bit more like standalone um monsters uh, one of the biggest ones that we see in um, in the like Avengers movies is it the Ch Chitari or the Chitari? Chitari? The Chitari. Chitari. Yeah. Like powerful reptilian warrior race. Um, they're basically kind of half uh, machine, half organic beings. Um, they have all these kind of variants. They're in league with. Thanos, um, basically, they're 
uh, I guess the first Avengers controlled by a hooded being called the other, but they've got this kind of hive mind that they all kind of can communicate together. Um, they're gray skinned, six fingered reptilian humanoids with uh, superhuman abilities. And they've got a fair amount of technology that I think is useful in terms of the way they fight, like hovercrafts and um, like airborne tra uh, uh, like carriers, basically, which are a whole other monster called Leviathans, which are awesome, which are linked with um, the same kind of thing that allows them all to fight. But, you know, when you had that kind of initial combat in the Avengers, basically it was... Uh, Chaturia just like raining down from the sky through portals and it is not good <laughs> you know but there's all these different variants of that kind of um, race I guess um, of, of type of monster um, there's the and that it's interesting that that is who you started with because leviathans are on my list of MCU monsters that I wanted to talk about yeah well <laughs> so, leviathans yeah, are but, like, awesome yeah. Giant the Leviathans are so evil cool, yeah, because they're like whales. <laughs> they're yeah, these cybernetically augmented space whales that have been utilized by the Chitari, utilized by Thanos. Like we see them at the Battle of New York, which is like so, um, of course, like in instrumental in um, setting the the scene for like the MCU as the greater whole. Um, yeah, I just think they're like super, and then and we we keep seeing them over and over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. So like, they were, uh, the you know they were they massacred the the oh I'm gonna mispronounce this the Hoberi when Thanos was taking out like when he oh, was half the planet the universe, destroying yeah. half half the the the, and then like I said we see them in the Battle of New York. Um, well, so many of we the see like, them traumatic flashbacks involve seeing the Leviathans. I think it's because they're so fearsome yeah. and destructive that that they're kind of awe-inspiring in a in a scary way when you see them. Like it's just you know that well, it's and they they <laughs> and they're part of yeah, and they become like especially the remains of them left over from the Battle of New York um start to create this kind of chain effect for influencing the other stories that come along later mm -hmm. in the mcu so like there are some of their leviathan the corpses of them were recovered by shield but then of course we then find out later that there were hydra agents that had infiltrated shield so hydra agents got a hold of some of this technology um so then baron strucker ends up with some of that stuff um and then we see it again later in the first um the spider-man movies of the mcu mm -hmm. vulture when he is just like his normal regular human self mm -hmm. he and his crew have been hired to go and salvage the tech mm -hmm. but then of course um you know the big brothery <laughs> the black um, market of, of uh... <laughs> a black yeah come in and like take get it and like sneak it out from under him and so that's what sets him on his path to becoming vulture and becoming a villain because he loses his um basically his life's work mm -hmm. now <laughs> at this point um we see them again in endgame right so like there's a huge leviathan that's coming after captain marvel and we see wanda maximoff with her like incredibly new developed powers is managed just to like lift one up out of mm -hmm. carol's uh line of like like out of her path mm -hmm. yes 
it's all very yeah so i love the leviathans they're so cool they're very cool um just some other kind of categories uh there's the celestials so these are uh usually also massive <laughs> they're humongous yeah. they're like planet-sized monsters uh they're introduced in guardians of the galaxy expanded upon in guardians of the galaxy volume two spoiler <laughs> i guess that you know it's uh turns out you to can't be a fairly spoiler a 10 year old movie yeah and obviously it's it's a huge part of eternals as well um this idea mm-hmm. that many of the celestials are kind of created inside a planet and to for them to be birthed, you know, the planet has to kind of be destroyed. Um, and I think that's where they get a lot of their power from the inside of a planet. They can also kind of soak it up um, specifically from other, uh, you know, somebody with powers that you, you've got uh, these other um, basically uh, or organic beings called the deviants, um, which are also introduced in the Eternals. I think they're very cool um they're created by by the celestial arashem and they're basically sent to planets to ensure the development of intelligent life um by you know setting the necessary conditions for the the birth of a celestial and basically for the the deviants to achieve this they have to become the apex predator of the planet they have to become the strongest allowing um basically the the populations to grow in the way that's useful to them and they even kind of like soak energy up for the birthing process of the celestials but i i thought the design of the deviants were really incredible too they are very monstery surprisingly uh colorful they're uh kind of black with these long manes and even these kind of like is the right term like mandible like these little things that shoot out of their neck and they kind of like soak soak energy sure. out. i don't know i'm not sure what to call like that little it, they've got these little almost like rope like things that's almost like wires that that come out from their neck um they they have these little kind of bonus <laughs> limbs i guess um but the deviants i think are uh interesting and, and they serve basically the purpose of, of assisting um with the celestials um those are kind of like big category monsters. I've got so many that were kind of created for specific um, films or like specific characters, like the clandestines, which are now introduced in Miss Marvel, are basically going to be uh, gins and different than the mm-hmm. way that we know gins to be. Um, but um, they are kind of uh, set up uh, to be tied with uh, Kamala and her family. Um, You've got uh, so much Egyptian mythology now in Moon Knight, um, like the jackals, which are basically associated with death because they lurked around uh, cemeteries and would eat, you know, decomposing flesh. Uh, jackals are not great to be around and they're not great uh, for Oscar Isaac when they pop up in the museum and he's like not really knowing who he yeah, is. Being... <laughs> um, Chased by them. Experiencing yeah. a lot of blackouts. Um there's uh, also, I mean, the shadow monsters, which appear in um, Thor Love and Thunder. They're basically an extension of the Necrosword, but they are basically, a lot of them seem very spider-like. I guess there's a fair amount of variation, um, but they're used by Gore the God Butcher to fight with him in battle. Sometimes they're used as a distraction um, and... Uh, the, basically the 
the monsters can can also assume the shape of children's nightmares so they function some way as kind of an mcu boogeyman as well that these shadow monsters are manipulating based off your fear rather than them just having their own specific property um they're kind of malleable they have a physical form because you seem to be able to fight them which is a little bit strange uh but they come from this kind of cursed sword so i guess it's cursed logic which is <laughs> as its own deal it's 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 kind of magic it's also kind of space stuff you know well like you said too like like the asgardians kind of count mm-hmm. but are they gods are they aliens are they magic is it mm-hmm. it almost changes film to film because i feel like yeah in the avengers and earlier on it seemed like they were aliens like loki was an alien he's far tired. more alien yeah yeah, yeah. It, but, but when you get now to the films for like ragnarok and love and thunder it's very like they talk about valhalla it's very god influenced and i think um it has more spirituality than outer spaciness um in terms of well and they keep going to like all of these different realms now these these places that they didn't and especially like in the first movie they referred to asgard is basically like so asgard is just the level of where we live that floats above earth which we call midgard so that in that very way of like so we are just the aliens who live on a different planet called asgard Uh versus like now they're going to whole other different planes of existence Mm -hmm. like the way that gore is able like he literally talks to and then kills a god Mm -hmm. yeah there's a revenge there's a different plane of existence in the same way uh in the black panther films that there's like the, right yeah yeah the oh, i forget what the plane is called but it's basically their kind of like afterlife where after they take their equivalent of magic soup uh they go to <laughs> speak <laughs> speak with their ancestors yeah. and maybe it's just the ancestral plane um something like that but yeah there's many different planes of existence versus just planets in space and um i mean now that we're getting into kind of there's all these different kind of phases for the MCU, right? We had um, kind of the early days. We've got the Infinity Saga, and they're going through the kind of multiverse now, and there's all these different things. But... Well, and so much of Phase Four, we're focusing more specifically on what were considered kind of smaller characters. Like a lot yeah. of Phase Four was the TV shows, and but now um, Quantum Media has begun Phase Five, mm-hmm. and with the Okay, Quantum Mania has only been out for a week, so I'm not gonna. Yeah, say no spoilers too, on this. Too much I was now gonna say this. On, this this uh, no... episode has to be Quantum Mania spoiler free. We're, we're going to talk Mania about the rest free. of it. I promise, I promise. Um, but yeah, so Quantum Mania starts Phase Five, and of course, you can see them setting up another Thanos-like, long-term, incredibly threatening, gonna take the whole. Mm team to take them down villain and jonathan majors is awesome i haven't seen the movie yet but yes. he's an incredible actor yes, and he's obviously fantastic. he was great yeah. in in the loki show though that's a different version of um the character but he's gonna be good um madrin have you seen werewolf by night did you see that no 
I was okay. so hoping that you were not going to talk about because <laughs> no, I was like, okay. oh, this was that was a really obscure one-off. Of course, Will's not going to talk about no, it. <laughs> yes, I, I've seen Werewolf by Night, and I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I I bring it up just because we're talking about specific monsters, but that features obviously a, a werewolf, <laughs> um, which yes. is cool. But I also think it's it's interesting because it features Man Thing, uh, which I love. We've talked yeah. about swamp monsters, and Man Thing makes an appearance. And um, it does motion capture. So it's motion captured by uh, Carrie Jones and Jeffrey Ford does additional vocalizations. But it's interesting. So the suit itself is not the same as a lot of the other motion capture suits. It's this kind of gray um, and black suit that's a little bit more flat just because the monster itself is kind of I don't know, it's almost like a bell, right? Like it's quite wide, like in terms of the shape of mm -hmm. it. And they use these um, specific triangles on them, which is called the Sierpinski triangle fractal pattern. Um, that's used for a really precise version of CGI, but it basically looks kind of like the Zelda Triforce, <laughs> except it like <laughs> more detail uh, where there would be gold. And it, so it's all over the suit uh, and apparently it helps them do a more accurate tracking. So I thought that was interesting to, you know, because we often like to talk about like motion capture, but I thought the motion capture for man thing was awesome. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, really good. And I feel like, you know, it's a simple monster in a way to portray, but that gives them more flexibility. Um, so shout out to uh, man thing, which is basically a large, slow moving, empathetic humanoid swamp monster um, that uh, traditionally, I think in the comics lives in, florida um but they're aka well, and what, uh, yeah what ted. i really liked about <laughs> shout out to ted, <laughs> ted yes well, and what i really liked about this version of it is that he was such a gentle and kind monster who really mm -hmm. only attacked because he was being provoked by all of these monster hunters mm -hmm. who's who's you know, basically it was like they they were all put into this maze and told to hunt him down but you can see that he's especially and there there's where where the animation and the motion capture were just so fantastic is that there's so much detail in his face and you can see that he's actually such a kind loving rather mm -hmm. sad character mm -hmm. uh until you know people try to kill him and then he gets <laughs> but and what i really liked about it is that they had given him such a such a distinct body and such a distinct look and personality because oftentimes in the comic books, he's really far more conceptual. He's almost like the living embodiment of the the essence of the swamp. Like right. it's very, it can be very generic and very like uh, you know ethereal in that mm -hmm. way. But in this point, you know, in Werewolf by Night, it very much came down to like two best friends trying to save each other. Mm -hmm. Um. I feel like Taika Waititi really uh, got to do a lot of fun creaturey stuff because he kind of struck gold by doing Thor, but he's got so many monsters. So uh, they bring in uh, uh, Fenris, which is the giant Asgardian mm -hmm. wolf, which I think at this point is monster territory beyond the typical Asgardian wolf. <laughs> um, Fenris is basically oh, totally, totally. Hela's massive hellhound. Uh, which essentially can only be fought by a Hulk, um, which, you know, has power to the limit of his rage, which is limitless. So <laughs> that, that's very powerful. Um, 
But uh, yeah, basically, uh, Fenris is resurrected by Hela with the Eternal Flame and and helps her kind of uh, rule over Asgard. Um, he also, um, so I saw like Love and Thunder relatively recently, and it this is like I I realized it instantly that the the like screaming goats is apparently just a reference to the internet meme with um the screaming in the taylor swift song which and i think the is like, yeah. trouble like do you remember that viral thing yeah. it I, was funny yes, like because it, it also felt like when they were writing it it was probably hilarious and then by the time the movie came out where they're like oh yeah that was a reference to that thing like years ago on the internet years ago but that's yeah. why you have those screaming goats um that exist throughout all of the um like love and thunder movie that that they basically get as a punishment for destroying a like beautiful palace um yeah but uh, i like that the the things that the mcu can pull from it can range between uh norse mythology and internet uh jokes you know like (laughs) just pop culture yeah yeah Um, like what's yeah what's really fun about those movies is that yeah they'll throw in things every now and then where it's just like oh straight up take away td thought this was funny mm -hmm. like that is solely a joke that is for him and that is why this is in there (laughs) Mm -hmm. um i have um one more kind of monster i think i want to talk about in this category um which is the flurkin now imagine i'm not sure if you remember or i believe i'm pronouncing it correctly that they are uh cat like uh monsters uh, oh from, yes uh, <laughs> uh, from captain marvel <laughs> and uh they have a unique uh physiology that they have uh pocket dimensions inside their bodies they on the outside look very much just like a normal house cat but the inside are incredibly dangerous uh they can swallow uh objects or beings um like you know as powerful as the tesseract um which is if you've never seen any mcu and you've listened to this part of the episode it's like a glowing box um (laughs) basically that it can be used um and they've got these giant tentacles that they can deploy out of their mouths at will which is great because they're so massive and the cat is so small um and they're actually quite uh heavily dangerous for something so cute um yeah it also uh, ties into how a very important uh, Marvel character loses their eye. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I know a lot of people were mad about that. They're like, that's how that happened. It's just it taken out by a stupid cat. But I love it I because it I think it's great because, you know, spoiler again, like Nick Fury would never like if somebody was fighting him, no way he'd let them get his eye. But it's just he lets his guard down yeah. with a cute little cat. Of course, that's going to be the way that it goes down. You know, you don't expect it from a cute little cat to, you know, blind yeah. you. It's um, funny. Madrin, uh, we're going to, I think, take a little bit of a break. Um, but first, I'm just going to shout out that I am very excited for the Fantastic Four. Because the Fantastic Four is also debatably, but I, I do kind of like this logic, four monsters. Um, they're superheroes, but they all have a really strong monster influence. Um, they're essentially a, a family that bickers, that reluctantly become heroes. And 
they are stuck like struck by cosmic rays during a brief space flight um all four of them are transformed one of them becomes a giant orange beast a monster <laughs> one becomes Rock a monster a yeah. flaming man <laughs> you know kind of monster like one became the invisible woman which is literally the title of a universal's monster movie which is also quite good actually the newest invisible woman and the last becomes a mad scientist um with like freakish okay. abilities to stretch his Reed body Richards was already a mad scientist right but now he's it's all stretchy the powers part that came afterward but now I think... he's all stretchy <laughs> but i like i like that um he you know the mad scientist makes it feel like it sits in the monster world too so really i'm not sure who's doing fantastic four anymore but i am excited for them to be in the mcu um, because yeah, they are kind of monstery in my mind, and I feel like they're going to bring some monstery fun. We're going to take a little bit of a break. Well, certainly, Ooh. poor poor Ben Grimm and his thingness is yeah, definitely yeah. very. We'll, we'll debate this on the break, and, and we'll come back <laughs> with uh, sure. with some more information. <laughs> uh, we're going to have lots coming at you. Um, we've got some of our favorite uh, quotes and potentially impressions from the MCU. Uh, we'll be giving away our Creechy Awards, looking at some highlights. And um, of course, uh, our uh, coffee break pitches uh, coming at you soon. So we're back. Uh, it's time for what I'm sure is your favorite segment of the Creature Feature, uh, where Madrin and I attempt uh, to um, do different impressions of uh, creatures, people, things. In this case, uh, I think some <laughs> of my options are are maybe a little bit more uh, godly or monstery, uh, or well, not monstery, godly than monstery. And one that I just couldn't resist thinking of as like a top quote from the MCU. Um, so my first uh, quote is from uh, the original Avengers movie um, when Hulk is fighting Loki. And basically just um, Loki says first like, you can't attack me, I'm a god. And which like Hulk just repeatedly smashes him into the ground and then goes, puny god puny and, god. and wanders yeah. away <laughs> and it's such a good like one-liner basically where the core villain is just completely annihilated um yeah and uh my second kind of uh godly quote is um from thor ragnarok and my favorite part of this quote is that apparently it was suggested by a kid on set it wasn't something that was in the script or something they just kind of rolled with um and um, basically, uh, it also involves the Hulk, but Thor is in this like kind of stadium fighting and the, the doors open up and out comes the Hulk. And then Thor is super excited and he goes like, oh, we know each other. He's a friend from work, <laughs> you know? And it's great. <laughs> and that is my poor, poor impression of Chris. That Hemsworth. was a, your terrible Australian accent. 
Yeah, that's my terrible one. I saved my good one for special occasions. <laughs> it's a terrible one is, oh, okay. is to okay. be used for for now. Um, imagine, do you have any quotes you want to share? And then I'll share kind of my bonus one because it is not a uh, creature or god in any way, but it's- Yeah, I well, I mean, like my, they're one. not really, yeah, they're, I don't, they're not really creature-y ones that I have here. Um, I mean, I, I do have one where, um, I guess it's not really like a super quotable quote, but I think it really speaks to her character is when- um, in Captain America Civil War, Wanda Maximoff says, I can't control their fear, only my own. Mm. Because I think it just speaks so, because she starts out as a villain and then she becomes a hero and then she becomes a villain again. She's so misunderstood and so has such like a deeply traumatic life. Mm -hmm. But so much about like, but what she's saying in there is she can only control keeping her own fear in check and trying to make the right decisions for herself. She can't control the way other people see her or misunderstand her powers or what her motivations are. She just mm -hmm. has to be true to what she believes in and what she thinks is right. Trying to worry about what everybody else thinks is pointless to her. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Um, my and one... of course, um, oh, well, I, well, you did no, too. No, no, you go, you go, you go. Oh, okay. Uh, and then of course, it, it, it's not at all a, uh, monstery type powered person it's just it has a recurring theme throughout the ocu and it's just so great is when uh it first appears in captain america the first avenger so like the very first captain america movie is when he's uh you know he captain america keeps being beaten and he gets up and he gets up and he keeps saying i could do this all day mm -hmm. and then we hear him say it again when they're doing endgame mm -hmm. yeah it's just it's that's great. my that's my number <laughs> the, three the too. Theme. That's oh, my number that three okay. because it's it it runs through like we see um Agent Carter do it or Captain Carter I guess mm -hmm. in like you see it reinterpreted some ways. But I'll also add uh to that uh that's America's ass is a pretty great yeah. <laughs> when he's seeing his own body like running well, around. Well, Ant Man says it first. Yeah, and then he's like, "That is America's ass." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when he sees his own. Yeah, it's really good. So this brings me yeah. to, a and then question. my absolute, well, my absolute top, cause we're doing, if we're, you know, my top quote came from, um, the Scarlet Witch and, and, uh, WandaVision is when we have this kind of like flashback scene after her brother's been killed and vision comes to comfort her. And he says just the most beautiful poignant thing that I've, I've heard a character talk about when they're talking about death and grief mm -hmm. so when he says what is grief if not love persevering mm -hmm. yeah that's and it's just fun. such a beautiful way to think about that right is like the reason why we miss people and we're sad that they're gone is because we love them so much and isn't mm -hmm. that just like such a beautiful way of instead of being sad about it like you can celebrate that you mm -hmm. miss them yeah so my favorite types of uh, funerals are the ones that are usually a celebration of the the love and life rather than a mournful yeah, one. Yeah, and and I've noticed that too is like that's kind of a trend lately is that people are referring to those kinds of gatherings as a celebration of life versus mm -hmm. a funeral. Mhm. Mm yeah. I, yeah, that's the best kind. All right. Well, speaking of the best of something, imagine I asked you yes. this uh, right when we met, who is the best cast actor? or actress or whatever in the MCU. Now this is a loaded question because I think there are so many actors that have become almost synonymous with the characters that they portray, but yes. who is the best casting in the MCU? 
like who is the truest from the depiction of the comic know. books or I don't know. Who up to you are okay okay up to you i'm gonna say up to you i've got a couple in my my mind that really kind of stand out. okay i'm gonna i'm going to say samuel l jackson as nick fury oh because that's, that's he off is the board for me but i like it well he is in no way the depiction of nick fury the way he was originally in the comic books like mm-hmm. of course in the in the comic books originally he's a white guy mm-hmm. um but he i think in in the what you just said is that he's become so synonymous with that character it's very difficult for me to imagine a different portrayal mm-hmm. by anybody else and it, and in a different way of that like he he so perfectly toes that line of being that like really cold disaffected person but then when you really realize that he's just so deeply invested in all of them and he loves them so deeply and he has this greater vision mm-hmm. yeah i think yes nice yeah i've got a couple uh, i'll tell you a couple of my runner-ups i guess just because it's on my own there's so many good castings but like chris hemsworth's thor is iconic i feel like they got the perfect person for it not the one i'm gonna pick though i'm cheating at this by giving several answers i also think that um uh, i was thinking about this this one that jumped away but i also occurred to me like chadwick boseman is an incredible black panther obviously mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. more that like a follow-up film after his passing is just basically in memoriam of him like he carried so much of like class and dignity and um like what that casting in that character meant is so incredibly uh, valuable. Uh, but the one that I pick, because I, I can't imagine it being done by anyone else, and it's the obvious answer, but it's a good one, is Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Like it's yeah, just- absolutely. Yeah. I, I cannot, I can't imagine it being, and, and ultimately he brought so much of, I want to say himself to it in a way, but like, his maybe maybe a better way is, is saying is his sensibilities like he is this um how what do they call him billionaire philanthropist playboy B- billionaire playboy philanthropist <laughs> yeah whatever it is i think there's one more but like he is this role oh genius really... billionaire playboy yeah, genius philanthropist yes exactly yeah. because he was a risk to cast because he himself as a human being had gone through so many yeah. kind of different chapters of his life and they wondered if he could kind of hold it together but ultimately his journey as a character speaks so much to his journey as an actor where he becomes important he he starts making more i think calculated decisions and thinking about the bigger picture and ultimately even like the sensitivity from going to someone who cares you know about nobody or like who's only in it for himself to like the relationship he has with peter parker and like and um um yeah just everybody and like the sacrifice that he makes for humanity I, i i don't know any other actor that really would have been able to do it in his way so it's not just his fun side i think some of his vulnerability is also specific to him and so i think both sides of that coin is like really incredibly done by that actor and i don't know you know who else could do it yeah i would absolutely agree with that for all for all of the reasons that you said too like yeah like you could see this long journey of like yeah somebody who was acting purely for their own self-gratification but then expanding the responsibility of like you know and again too as the character he gets married and he is a kid and mm-hmm. he becomes part of this leadership 
team that mm-hmm. uh you know is trying to protect first the earth and then the universe and mm-hmm. then basically all of existence mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and um stan lee himself has said that robert downey jr is exactly who he pictured when he was creating the character yeah even stan lee said i can't think of anybody better yeah sometimes you just see those castings and you go that's exactly what i imagined in my head like i remember i uh cannot remember the actor's name at the moment but like the guy who plays hagrid in harry potter you're like yep that's exactly what I imagined. Like there's certain... oh Robbie Coltrane. Yeah, yeah, there's certain people you see. They just you see them on screen, and you maybe had imagined them when you know reading, or in this case, we still have still have the visuals. But like someone that just walks in, and you're just like, "Yep, <laughs> that's it's got to be kind of a no brainer." Um, all right, so that's our kind of uh, best cast actors in the MCU. Um, there's obviously I think so many of the castings are excellent, but those are some highlights. And now let's go on to uh, highlights. <laughs> uh, so Madrin. What are some of your uh, highlight moments from the MCU? And I think probably they will overlap with mine as well, but I'll let you take the first swing. Highlight moment. Okay, is this going to be a different part than our best kills? Yes. You have to, if it's, if oh, the, if geez. your favorite moment is a kill, then like this is, to me is like a nice kind of overflow that there's no <laughs> death, uh, but they're kind of my favorite moments. Why don't, why don't I start then? I'll, and then I'll give you a, right. a follow-up. Um, I just don't want to steal your thunder, you know? Um, I think the 360 degree shot from Avengers where they've all got their backs to each other and you're seeing that battle of New York and they yell like Avengers assemble is so iconic uh to basically the way that they pitched the movie but even down to kind of what it was um and the follow-up tie-in of i i cannot help but think of like the viral videos of people screaming in a movie theater Mm -hmm. when you have the wall of superheroes everyone coming out of the portals and then you have chris evans saying avengers assemble and the the uh, hammer coming into his hand like those those moments and specifically those callbacks to that specific group of six, you know, because you, you will not see that again is to me, um, you know, the start and end point of kind of their legacy in the MCU. And I think they're absolute highlights in their own films, but also those are like milestone moments um, in, in the Marvel cinematic universe uh, franchise. Um, and also you got a quote out of it. So bonus. <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, yeah, and like you said, I think a very iconic <clears throat> moment. Um, I know this is kind of a controversial thing, but it really appealed to me, <laughs> and uh-huh. I think it really it was aimed specifically at you know my demographic and and you know people like me was um, the fight sequence in Captain Marvel that is set to no doubts just a girl. Oh yeah, I love that too. Like, it's, it's really just fun. So much fun. It's yeah. so much fun. In what is what was actually surprisingly a, a far more serious movie than I was expecting. Cause I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, it's set in the nineties and she crash lands into a blockbuster. Like this <laughs> uh-huh. is going to be fun. It's going to be like, like the Marvel Miss Mar or you know, Captain Marvel version of Ragnarok. But it turned out to have a far more serious overtone than what I was expecting. So to have that moment of she's just absolutely kicking butt levity, but set to that, song mm-hmm. <laughs> is a lot of fun i i really liked that mm-hmm. um i would also say a, a big highlight um from the first black panther is that scene where um 
Killmonger challenges for the throne and you can see them like fighting on the the water like that. I feel like that whole relationship is a real like standout to me from that movie. And really Killmonger as a character, I think was like incredible. Like that, that's um, kind of what they pulled that from the comics. Um, but there's one, there's one last, I, I would be lying imagine if I said that um, my favorite moment from the MCU wasn't from Spider-Man No Way Home. And it's just like speaks to me as maybe our listeners don't know, but I'm sure Imagine does know. I'm like a huge Spider-Man fan. I've seen all the Spider-Man movies. It's my favorite superhero. Um, so when they started doing the portal appearances in No Way Home and you see Andrew Garfield come through, but like specifically when they saw like Tobey Maguire walk back into frame as that character, I was just like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> like it was like, I was so emotional because <laughs> those, those films were were um so like influential on me i think as a kid and like watching all of his performances and those characters so he didn't even have to do that much but it's it was such a beautiful thing in those movies seeing a continuation in growth of those characters like you're getting closure for andrew garfield's character in a way you're seeing the older version of peter parker that i think has gone through you know for lack of words, seen some shit like past that and seems to have like yeah. kind of settled in a different way and carries kind of a wisdom of the three. Obviously, Tom Holland is incredible too, but like uh, the, the, and I just rewatched it yesterday because I had been doing all these research for all these creature things for the MCU and um, like looking for creature specific, but I really just wanted to be like, what do I love about the MCU? And I was like, this is, you know, that movie to me was wish fulfillment. It's a, it's a greatest hits of all the Spider-Man movies that I love. And I think improvements on, on some of the, you know, pieces that I didn't. And um, I'm still to this day amazed that they pulled it off. And I think ultimately they kind of did a little bit of changing direction. They probably had to do an insane amount of negotiation to pull those characters from the different universes. Um, but it's like immensely satisfying <laughs> as, a, as a viewer for me. Um, and I feel like, you know, it was also a very successful film. Like I, I feel like it was probably the hardest and uh, kept secrets, you know, in, in Hollywood uh, as the Spider-Man movies often are. Um, but uh, yeah, it's got a lot of like great fight sequences and a cool message. And even just like the structure of the movie, I really loved uh, as well. Um, yeah, those are my, my highlights that don't involve um, killings. <laughs> Any other highlights one of before my we get highlights. to some deathy bits? <laughs> yes, uh, one of my highlights. I um, uh, some people argue now at this point that it's not really part of the MCU, but it I, it it absolutely is. I was an avid watcher of Agents of Shield. Okay, I really really loved that series, and it so it followed uh, Agent Phil Coulson. He becomes the leader of this elite team. So Phil Coulson is the he was just referred to, I think, as S.H.I.E.L.D. agent in mm -hmm. the Avengers movie. And his supposed death at the hands of Loki is the thing that kind of binds all of the Avengers together and motivates them mm -hmm. uh, to team up together. But it turns out, you know, he comes back for mysterious reasons that we, we figure out later in the series. But anyway, in the first season of it, it's basically this kind of like ragtag group of people who are incredibly good at the individual thing that they do but they're trying to figure out how to work together and near the end of the first season there's um 
there's a character his name is grant ward he is like the 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 best agent you know he's young he's very good looking he's such a dedicated shield agent and he takes this new younger member under his wing and they're kind of flirty together like they have a kind of will they won't they sort of thing but because at the time agents of shield was very cognizant of tying into the movies of the greater whole they're when they uh, went into the same timeline as Captain America and the Winter Soldier, where we had this big reveal that there were Hydra agents within S.H.I.E.L.D. at the time, and it basically blew up S.H.I.E.L.D. from the inside. Mm -hmm. The reveal that Grant Ward was actually a Hydra agent was mm -hmm. absolutely devastating. Right, because nobody so saw it up coming. To it. He was like, he was the hero of the team mm. nobody saw it coming and when his protege sky figures out like because she manages to figure it out when they're alone together and she can't call for help mm -hmm. and you can kind of see it in her face and there's this she has this absolutely incredible moment where she realizes he's a hydra agent she kind of flips out and like has her moment of oh jesus i can't believe i trusted this guy then she has this moment of I can't let him know that I know. Mm -hmm. And you can see all of it happen on her face within about a millisecond. And it's amazing. Like, and it's just, it's absolutely devastated to watch shield fall apart from the inside. I, I found it far more devastating as part of the shield world than it was in watching it as part of winter soldier. Cause as winter soldier, it was just like, Oh, our heroes will be fine. But it absolutely ripped apart the team in agents of shield. Mm. for for quite a while they had to rebuild cool. yeah. yeah it's funny seeing the fallout from films that kind of like trickle down into another one um it's the same way kind of like the defenders on the netflix show were kind of living in a post um battle of new york world. like a post battle of new york world yeah. yeah um all right let's get into some killy bits um right. there's uh i've got three um some of them are uh two of them i think are just kind of like straightforward and then one of them has a little bit of like story i guess attached to it but i love the image of basically wanda just rips the heart out of ultron like she it's uh, like monster style using her powers you see it just like burst out of her chest and into her hand which to me is like very uh, Mortal Kombat and just satisfying in terms of a kill because Ultron is so frustrating. And in many ways that, that film could be a little bit frustrating, but uh, at least it's got a good <laughs> kill there. Um, and an and incredible it, moment for that character because yeah. in that movie, like that is where we see she's introduced originally as a villain who was working with Ultron. Mm -hmm. And then she comes to realize, oh wait, I'm on the wrong team. Mm -hmm. It's a classic uh, situation for her. I don't know classic how many times that's villain happened. to hero. Maybe, maybe three times now. Ult Ultron, WandaVision, Doctor Strange. That's kind of her jam. She's just always on <laughs> the wrong side of uh, your hero's journey. Um, also, uh, in Infinity War, uh, Proxima Midnight gets like shredded by her own like little wheel machine thing. Basically, um, who is it that throws her? Is it also Wanda that throws her into it? I think it is. I think it's Wanda that kind of tosses her know. into this uh, kind of circle thing. And then it cuts to Black Widow who goes like, Ugh, 
that was gross. <laughs> and she's got some like blue gunk <laughs> on her face. So like the MCU doesn't usually show somebody getting, you know, bloodily scrapped in a machine, but at least, hey, they show the follow-up and you can tell that she's definitely super dead. <laughs> um, who's like one of the, basically Proxima is the, uh, uh, another one of the kind of like adopted um, daughters um, uh, that's like kind of leading war against humanity um in that movie um okay i've got one more i'll just go into it that basically the climax of dr strange i think is one of the best examples of best kill and it's used in i think a really interesting way so this is the first dr strange movie basically sees um benedict cumberbatch's um kind of journey into another dimension um with the the monster is uh, dormammu and um or kind of demon um and basically at, at the climax uh dr strange uses the time stone to trap both of them in a time loop and dormammu kills dr strange um but basically dr strange uh keeps coming back to life and resurrecting himself and just keeps dying again and again and again and again and again and dormammu realizes that dr strange will basically sacrifice himself in an infinite number of times in an infinite number of ways many of them are like awful like impaled really horrible deaths, to death yeah. squashed to death like really painful awful deaths and uh basically he'll just keep taking it um so it's like definitely one of the most like kind of selfless acts um in the mcu that he just says i'll, I'll die forever and so you're gonna get bored being stuck in this and so you lose <laughs> and it's like i don't know it's not just one death it's a billion deaths but i think it definitely qualifies as one of the best kills that kind of is flipped in a way like it's not final right it's not the end of a character um but i i think it's really creative the way that they kind of looked at that in that movie all right madrin hit me with some kills all right. I don't know if it counts as a kill, but it was really funny. And uh, who cares? We make the rules, right? Uh, so in the TV series, Loki, we come to find out that all of these different variants of Loki have been banished into the void mm -hmm. for deviating from uh, their what is supposed to be their true path. Mm-hmm. And one of the versions of Loki is alligator Loki. Oh, yeah. And it's literally an alligator wearing the horns it's of Loki. So, good. Right? so alligator Loki, kid Loki, original Loki. And I think they call the other one boastful Loki. Yeah. Have kind of allied themselves and they're living together, right? But then there are all these other Lokis who end up infil infiltrating their lair, um, led by President Loki. And but inevitably, the true nature of all Lokis is that they are quite selfish people and they will end up betraying everybody. So, you know, it turns out everybody was betraying everybody else and a battle ensues. But what I thought was so funny about this is that alligator Loki bites off the hand mm -hmm. <laughs> of President Loki and he's just like standing there screaming with this stuff. <laughs> and then it is then then alligator loki gets picked up by kid loki and they make their escape but it's kind of then implied that because president loki lost his hand then he dies in the ensuing fight right but yeah i thought it was really funny yeah, yeah. shout out to um, alligator loki as being a very creature creature version of uh loki <laughs> 
Yes. Well, and that's that's where where some of this inspiration came from is that he's definitely a very creaturey, mm-hmm. low-key character. Though I think they really missed the boat in making him an alligator and not a crocodile, because then they could call him Crokey. Oh, I see. Eh. I, I have no I have no notes <laughs> for it. I liked it as it as <laughs> no it was. Notes. No notes. Um then uh it's funny that you brought up werewolf by night and man thing because i went back and i watched this because it's just such like a great death is oh, that the, um the... yeah sorry go ahead i think i know what you're talking about yeah like uh, the character's name is i think her name is verusa she's uh-huh. the like wife of the um the head hunter guy who has brought all of these hunters together to like and she's up his the worst be the leader of them right <laughs> and she's just awful like she's very like screechy to her stepdaughter and it's just terrible to her and really nasty and and let's not forget that she has arranged this whole thing yeah so that these guys go hunting man thing who has done nothing wrong truly um but at the very end um it seems like she is going to kill her stepdaughter elsa she you know she's like you're such a disgrace to your father you disappointed everybody you're hor-. you know she's just such a horrible person and just at the last minute man thing comes hulking down behind her <laughs> grabs her and then he has this power and i'm i don't know if we had seen it before but he has the power to basically incinerate people and seemingly i watched the scene again it's seemingly from the inside out like she starts Ooh. to glow from inside first and then and then she just like Oof, turns into ash mm-hmm. and it's amazing and then man thing and elsa just have this moment where they're just kind of like staring at each other after he's killed Ver- verusa and then uh she just points and goes uh he went that way because they're talking about <laughs> his uh his werewolf friend mm-hmm. that was funny uh yes. and then my last one mm-hmm. going back to agents of shield they went into the storyline of the inhumans and so the inhumans get their powers from the terrigen mists which is kind of this like naturally occurring but mystical thing and so like if you are uh if you have latent inhuman abilities being exposed to the terrigen mist brings them out but there was this faction of people who basically wanted to wipe out regular humans and they wanted just inhumans to take over the whole world. So they were artificially manufacturing Terrigen Mist. And so, but because of their artificial manufacturing of it, it wasn't like properly refined, basically, which meant that if you were just a regular human and you didn't have this underlying inhuman ability in you, if you were exposed to this Terrigen Mist, it would kill you. Oh, <laughs> and just the most brutal, brutal, awful way. Because what the way that it happens is that it encases you in this really hard stone, for, like completely around your body, and that's when it transforms your body. And if you're an inhuman, you then break through this rock, and mm-hmm. now all of a sudden you have your powers. But if you're not, this rock essentially explodes, and you shatter and well, die. That's so there's uh, an episode, our heroes are going after blah, 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 blah. They get trapped in this chamber with the Terrigen Mists. And two of our main heroes and the villain that they've been chasing for that part of the this season all get trapped and they all get exposed to the Terrigen Mist. And so there's this brief moment of like, oh my God, like our heroes are going to die. Mm-hmm. 
And then it turns out that one of them did not know this, but it turns out that one of them is an inhuman and mm. she emerges and she's fine. But the other one is not. Mm. And he knew that he would most likely die. And so it's this, this really like, he is such a selfless, loving person. Like he was on a different team, but then when the whole Hydra thing went down, he was betrayed by his team leader and was feel like was just as awful. And so he had to prove to the to the agents of Shield team that we've been following. He had to prove to them mm -hmm. that he was loyal and that he was a good agent. And so like over and over and over again, it's he always proved himself. It's always right before then, somebody beautiful dies. It's like you see their best possible future, like in the distance. You know, sometimes it's just something like, yes. you know, we'll meet for dinner. Or like we're going to finally be together. It's like as soon as something like that happens in a movie, I was like, oh, they're going to die <laughs> because it's the most emotional yeah, like, way of doing it. Right. It's like he had finally earned his place and it's going to die. <laughs> well, and that's just it. So like he runs into the chamber. He sees that his teammate has been uh affected by the mist so then in an effort to try to save her he kicks over um the mechanism from the pedestal that it's been sitting on but then a shard of it gets embedded in his chest mm. he looks down and he sees it then all of a sudden he gets petrified because he's been exposed to the terrigen mist she comes bursting out of the petrification and she's fine but then he shatters and just crumbles to the ground mm. and so she's left having seen that he attempted to save her and ended up sacrificing himself at the time. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it was, again, because we've been following, I think what made it so impactful for me is that we'd been following these people for years now at mm -hmm. this point and really grew to love them. Yeah, I guess it's always one of those and things then Trip that died. it can also be really moving when it kind of catches you off guard. Like, you know, I love it when when you are kind of surprised, even to the point where it's it's funny to imagine like, I was like, oh, surely, you know, there's some of the big bads, but often, like, you have to kind of subvert them. Like, with Thanos, I mean, he's beheaded, if I remember correctly, but mm -hmm. because at that point, he's already won in that timeline or whatever, it's like, it doesn't really feel satisfying, because you know it does nothing. You know, it doesn't resolve any of the problems. You've, you've simply cut his head off, but he's already done what he's needed to do. Um, so it is a kill, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't get the round of applause you know that fighting him at the end of uh, endgame is going to it's it's like a false kind of kill um yeah all right madrin it's time to hand out our creature awards uh so Ooh. this is where we give out our uh bronze silver and gold uh creatures to the creatures that we love the most i am incredibly pleased that you mentioned uh, alligator loki as i wanted to shout him out um, but he's not in my top three. I'm simply acknowledging that I uh, love Alligator Loki and uh, everything he stands for. Um, <laughs> would you like to start with the with the bronze? Yes. Uh, I would like to give my bronze medal to the Frost Giants. Ooh, nice. Uh, of, yes. Because, uh, again, you know, you're saying about the Asgardians and, and you know, so they're, they're also, they're known as the Jotun or the frost giants mm -hmm. um they live on jotunheim which is one of the nine realms we find out that loki is actually not the biological son of odin and that he was actually adopted by odin and it turns out that loki is part frost giant mm -hmm. uh, and so he in part of his evil conquering ways allies himself with his uh true father lofi 
Uh, and then of course betrays him because it's you know Loki's gonna do what Loki's gonna do. <laughs> he is the god. Of but I think that mischief. they're like they're really. Yes, I think they're they're really cool because um, like who doesn't love a frost giant? They really live up to their names, right? Like uh-huh. They're very very tall. They're very muscular, blue gray skin. Um, they seem to be able to like the the frost and the ice of which they are made seems to be tougher far more durable than the ice of earth um yeah i think they're just you know this combination of stone and ice who doesn't love it it's so much fun Mm -hmm. sweet um well with my bronze i think i am going to give it to uh the um deviants um from the eternals i feel like i really loved their design i I liked that there was kind of uh, almost like an evolution of them too, in terms of the way that they were created. So you see the base level deviant, but the more kind of juice and energy they take from the Eternals, like that their form actually transforms as well. And like their intelligence shifts, uh, which I thought was really cool. And I just think like they tick the box in so many ways of being a monstery monster in the MCU. Um, they're not my favorite, but I think uh, what I, I I really loved that um, about the Eternals and fighting them always felt like you're not fighting another, you know, Greek god. You're not fighting another humanoid. Although it's funny that my my least favorite trope of is is always like thing eventually at its best form turns more humanoid. Like the stronger they get, the more humany they have to be. So there's a little bit of that in there. I like them in their more like primal form than when he's like a hyper intelligent leader uh deviant um but uh yeah i really like their design all right shall we go to silver yes silver i really love (laughs) creature was i really love the Eliath from loki oh yeah it's this like in so many ways, it's, it, it serves so many different purposes because the visual of it is just this absolutely enormous giant black cloud, basically, mm-hmm. with glowing, vaguely glowing red eyes. Mm-hmm. It is made, it, it was made out of um, the rifts of time and space mm. that was created by all of the different variants of... Um, it's sometimes he's called Nathaniel Richard, sometimes he's called Kang. In Loki, most often he's just referred to as he who remains. Mm-hmm. But the fact that this creature is was born out of the war remnants of this horrible battle between all of these different variants, mm-hmm. and he was made out of these rifts of time and space, uh, he can... And, like, basically, if left unchecked, the, the Eliath will... Um, like it's capable of consuming all of the matter and energy from an entire timeline Mm -hmm. and in a lot of instances that means an entire universe Mm -hmm. which means that it even has a greater power than the time variance authority itself which we come to realize is basically omnipotent yeah so just that like but but on the flip side of it too a lot of the characters in Loki refer to it as an unthinking beast. It's just a servant to its master. Um, I think original Loki calls it 
a shark in a shark tank mm-hmm. and then alligator loki gets offended and says oh no why can't we call it an alligator and he was like because that's not a thing there aren't any alligator tanks <laughs> like it's fine but that's the thing it's like this thing that has such colossal time and space destroying powers also is just it'll just do whatever its master tells it to do it has no will of its own mm. and it's just it's just there to consume so i just for for the longest time in um in that loki series it seemed like oh this thing is just unbeatable because mm-hmm. it's such so vast mm-hmm. best best mist monster ever maybe best mist monster <laughs> yeah. yeah um yeah uh okay this is tough i i am i have two but i'm trying to decide which one goes in silver and which ones goes in gold Mm. um you gotta pick one i know okay i'll just say for my silver but no it was close i'm giving my silver to the leviathans um from uh avengers um they're large creatures with kind of serpentine whale bodies massive teeth um, they're clad almost completely in armor plating. They're, they've got these large fin-like blades, anti-gravity devices. They've got grappling hooks for the, um, the Chitauri passengers to repel into battle. Um, some of them even have laser cannons on top. It's just like overkill of an already scary thing. Um, they're, they're all linked together through the cybernetic implants. I just, I, I keep going back to and I feel like they call back to this in Hawkeye, but like so much of the fear that they present, like the, a lot of the flashbacks of like trauma of people, they they always include the Leviathans because I think they're the most scary image. Like if, if you saw one of those in your city, you'd know it's instant like collateral damage and destruction and death. That's different than like someone on a glider or like a humanoid form. I like them. I like my monsters to look like monsters. Um, so I, I, I think that the Leviathan, in addition to being massive, so if this is a who would win in a fight, etc., like it's not necessarily um, indestructible. Uh, it's got a like a kind of a little bit of a soft belly so that they can be fought by like Hulk, for example. Um, but they are um, iconic. So I would say that in the MCU, they're one of the most iconic monsters that exist. And I think. If you ask somebody just who had seen a few of the movies, they could probably remember that image really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. And especially too, I think going back to your point of uh, like, oh, the fear factor of it, because the Leviathans were introduced in Avengers during the Battle of New York. And mm-hmm. so for, you know, when we think about the larger whole, like, you know at this point we've seen thor and he's battling in what is basically space and Mm -hmm. stuff like that too but for the average person like this was the first time that we actually had to think like oh wait what does the average person walking down the street in new york really truly know about Mm -hmm. what thor has been up to Mm -hmm. not a ton and And it's and it's been much more small scale versus like the battle of new york was the first big huge city destroying thing mm-hmm. and and like you said too like we see over and over and over again how absolutely traumatic the leviathans were mm-hmm. to the everyday average people that the event like and we don't really think yeah. about the everyday you average see the fallout comes for, to these big epics even the yeah. fallout for civil war and if you're looking at again to my tie-in of um avengers assemble 
you also see the Leviathans in Endgame. Like they still remain from mm-hmm. movie to movie, the right. tankiest monster that you could have to fight, you know, that they are better armed to deal with them later, but they're still, you know, uh, goon numero Well, And they're uno. basically <laughs> the reason, they're basically the reason that Bruce Banner and Tony Stark created Ultron because yeah. they were trying to make a planet encompassing uh, shield. protective system. Yeah. 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 Shield. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. Alrighty. My number one is really funny and really silly. I just thought it was like super. Cute. We need to lighten up the mood here uh-huh. in our MCU monster. Um, I'm going with number one of Morris from Shang Chi and oh. <laughs> Legend of the Ten Rings. Okay. <laughs> it's just it's so funny. It's this little. Furry, somebody often refers to it as a chicken pig. Yeah. (laughs) It has no face, but somehow also is totally aware of everything that's going on, understands when people talk to it. Mm Mm-hmm. The scenes that that Ben Kingsley has talking to this animated, (laughs) like I I was reading something out like I was reading this article, um, but the the creators and how they had to like the challenge of creating all of these beasts for Shang-Chi. Um and they said, of course, one of the hardest parts was that he does not have a face. So mm-hmm. they were like, you know, you usually give animated creatures a personality by animating their eyes and their mouths. But how do we do it without this character? So they ended up doing tons and tons and tons of um, animation tests. They went after, like, basically they modeled a lot of his movements after dogs and puppies, which is probably why he's just so adorable um essentially he is a six-legged headless version of a wombat that's what they're like the animation creators have basically can sum it up to be but like it's just it's so funny um aquafina's character says like oh why doesn't it have a face and like it gets morris gets really offended by it you know um but then we see just how absolutely chaotic the character is like mm-hmm. one of its powers is absolutely insane it can predict with exact probability a particular outcome so like morris is the only reason that they're able to navigate themselves to talo which is this like mystical realm where shang chi's family is mm-hmm. uh because at like every second he can say turn here, like turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right, as the forest behind them is swallowing them up. Mm. So like, he's quite powerful for he's this functional. cute like, fuzzy. Yeah. He's very functional, yes. Well, yeah. and plus he kept uh, Trevor Slattery from going crazy as he was being imprisoned. Because mm-hmm. uh, he says to Shang-Chi and um, Katie is her name. Uh, Wait, you can see Morris too? I thought I was hallucinating. <laughs> which is just so funny that he's just like he accepted that he was hallucinating this funny faceless furry creature and he's just like that's fine i've just imagined this furry friend mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm, he's shocked with other people who can see him i'm glad that you mentioned um shang chi because i also it's not my gold but the great protector dragon and and yes. awesome and like the appearance and the like timing and, and the, like, the, the design and I feel like maybe we talked about it a little bit on our dragons episode, or maybe it'll have to be in uh, revenge of the dragons or follow up dragons episode, but return of um, the dragon, return of the dragons. Yeah. Um, uh, But uh, that design is awesome. But my gold creature award 
is from a relatively recent movie. Now, as we said, uh, Sam Raimi is responsible for creating one of the Raimiest Raimi films in um, the MCU. Just of all um, time. No, not not even in the MCU, just of all time. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's the Sam Raimiest movie I've ever seen. Well, it basically includes Ash from Evil Dead as a hot dog salesman. So, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that punches himself in the face for days. Um, but uh, in the opening sequence of Multiverse of Madness, there is a pretty epic action sequence um, where Benedict Cumberbatch has to sneak away from the wedding of his former lover uh, to deal with a massive creature known as uh, Gargantos, which is a humongous, like, one-eyed, almost like Lovecraftian, invisible monster mm -hmm. that's that um, basically... Uh, like Strange is able to kill. This also qualifies as a pretty sweet kill by stabbing it in the eye with a light post. Like the whole fight sequence is off is awesome, and it's just like such a cool um, monster. I'm trying to think if there's any other way to describe it, but it feels very singular that I had not seen a monster in that way, and I think it totally you know set the mood for what this type of movie was going to be like the kind of rebrand mm -hmm. of Dr. Strange. It wasn't going to be inception Dr. Strange with, you know, these kind of mirror worlds. It was going to be horror Dr. Strange. And we were going to be getting into this kind of, you know, almost zombie version and which, you know, you kind of get into corpses and reanimating the death. And, um, right, but you've yeah. got this kind of weird thing. That's just like an eyeball with tentacles um, that's destroying. Well, because yeah. And then, what I think makes it so unique. And like you said, it really sets the tone for it being a far more horror based uh, movie than we've seen in the MCU. Because of course in, as the plot unfolds, these are, these don't count as spoilers. The movie's been out long enough. Mm -hmm. um, we find out that these of course are creatures that are coming from the dark hold, mm -hmm. which is like the scariest, most dangerous magic book in the MCU, mm -hmm. or at least so far that we have seen. So the fact that, yeah, like you said, it has such, <laughs> yeah, it has such Lovecraftian overtones because uh -huh. it is like the most dangerous, and it's scariest like, magic. Book. It's the it's the scary yeah. horror colors, like it's green and red. It's like and it's like, gross yeah. and slimy. It's just it's just the monstrous monster that I've seen, and so it it wins my gold medal. I don't know where it would wear the gold medal. Uh, you'd have to put it somewhere beneath the eye and next to the tentacle as it is mostly an eyeball. But if I could award it to one, uh, I would. Um, wow, I feel like we've covered many, many monsters and many moments in the MCU. Uh, it is now time for our Creechy Coffee Break, um, Madrin's favorite segment of the show, uh, which she's always <laughs> deeply prepared for. Um, what's, uh, what is your pitch uh, this week, Madrin, for the Creechy Coffee Break? Uh, my pitch is a series of books called A Darker Shade of Magic Oh, uh, by V.E. Schwab. Cool. They're yeah, they were like yeah, I loved these books. They're it's a it's a trilogy. It follows it and it, and it's very it's very like of our jam. Mm -hmm. So basically there are these four different Londons that essentially live on top of each other and there are they have increasingly more magic the more so like Grey London is like our version of London and so they're um 
there is absolutely no magic whatsoever. Then there's red London and white London and black London. And like black London is black because magic completely took it over oh. and voided it of any kind of life at all mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, and it follows our protagonist. His name is Kel. He's been adopted by the royal family of red London as a brother slash protector to the prince. Um, but and he, because he is of this particular bend uh, of magic, he's actually able to pass between the different realms of London. Like this isn't something that people can just do. Mm. He's one of the only people ever who can do that. Um, is it kind of multiversey up, that he can like hop from? It's a little yeah. It's kind of multiversey yeah. in that way, and it's very like um, like oh, oh you know kind of Game of Thronesy in that mm. people ride horses and sail on ships and <laughs> cool. they fight with swords. Like there aren't there aren't guns or cars or anything like that. But of course, magic is is quite prevalent in these worlds too. Um, and in Grey London, he meets a thief named Lila um who realizes that he is special and she latches on to that and like they have kind of a reluctant partnership and then of course that they become better friends and and allies with each other throughout the series of the books but it's a lot of fun it turns into a huge epic by the end uh so yeah so i highly highly recommend it ve schwab or like her name is victoria so sometimes her books are credited to victoria schwab and sometimes they're credited to ve schwab i'm pretty sure the darker shade series is ve schwab so highly recommend check those out mm-hmm. um sweet my creechy uh coffee break pitch is a podcast i don't always pitch other podcasts as i think you know you should spend all your time listening to our podcast <laughs> but um <laughs> this is a podcast called screw it we're just going to talk about comics it's hosted by Kevin and Will nice. Hines, uh, who are two brothers that are also kind of comedian improvisers um, that have like kind of worked at Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. And um, they do deep dives into so many comic book franchises and they will go like comic book to comic book. They'll say, oh, we're going to just cover this specific run of five, you know, limited edition comics. And they really get into the uh kind of like the nitty-gritty of it and i love listening to it and i haven't like i first kind of started specifically listening to the episodes of all the comics that i had read because i thought it was a useful insight into interpreting in them and understanding them um but it got to the point where i now just listen to all the episodes of comics that i haven't read because the way that they break story and talk about story and they clearly like really love comics and grew up like sharing a love of comics it's really infectious. So if you got to today's uh, episode and you said, hey, all of your feedback was about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and you want some more comic books in your life, uh, I recommend you check out um, Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics um, and listen to some of them talking about comic books. Um, if you enjoy the show and you want to hook us up with a little coffee break, you can go to www.ko-fi.com monstrology and you can hook us up with increments of $5, which goes towards uh, making the podcast and making it possible for us to make the podcast, um, doing things uh, like our, our Podbean um, membership and our Zoom so that we can record with uh, artists all over the world. 
Um, and you know, if things really take off, maybe I start giving out uh, more coffees to all of our guests and um, making it a bit easier for us to make the show. We love doing it, but we'd love it even more if you supported us on coffee. <laughs> um, yeah, you know what, Matron is is a creature feature, so you know we have no guest to ask, um, you know, no. for words of wisdom. But uh, there is, uh, you know, a small uh, word of wisdom that's done in a certain franchise um, that I may that may be near and dear to my heart uh, that I was reminded of in its slight variant when I watched uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. But I think truly the classic version of, of these words of wisdom is the best one, which is with great power comes great responsibility, you know, so. It's true. It's a, hey, now it's become a cheesy, corny thing to say, but it's it's a, a nice way to live your life and to remember, you know, the the opportunities that you have. You want to capitalize on them. And also just, uh, yeah, if you're in a position of power, you you have a lot to think about, you know, and uh, you want to live your life responsibly. And I don't have, uh, you know, Spider-Man powers, but uh, I will always have that <laughs> quote rattling around in my brain. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you, Madrin, for doing this deep dive into the MCU. I'm sure we didn't get to nearly uh, all of the things that uh, we could get into, but we hope uh, no, we could do this listening. ten times over. We could do this all day. You know, one could say we could. We could do this all day. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, thank you for listening. Until the next episode, I hope that you see as many or as few monsters as you like. And uh, have a great life. Bye. Monstrology is homegrown Canadian content. Co-hosted by Will King and Madrin McCabe. Edited and produced by Will King and distributed on the Podbean platform. As a young hatchling podcast, it means a lot to us if you rate, review, and subscribe to Monstrology on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever your monsters are found. <laughs>